The Long Way Home is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. Cycling Independence new podcast, The Long Way Home. I'm your host, Patrick Brady. Each week in The Long Way Home, we will bring you stories about cyclists and cycling, stories that speak to how cycling informs our sense of the world, making us more bearable and our lives more livable. Many of our episodes began life as written work published in magazines or sites like Red Kite Prayer and The Cycling Independent. Because so often how we tell the story is part of the story itself. Recording these pieces and turning them into a podcast made sense in the same way that taking a nap after a long ride makes sense. Each episode will feature the writer presenting their work, usually either John Lewis or me, their voice taking us into that world. Some shows will feature a single piece, while others will feature several shorter pieces joined together by a common theme. These pieces aren't journalism in any classic sense. What we share ranges from the stories we tell over coffee to meditations on the nature of what it means to be a cyclist. Yes, we're prone to existential questions in a way that seems inseparable from the psyche of a cyclist. And for our first episode, we have a piece called My Day with Ilya. This feature first appeared in issue 15 of Peloton magazine. I wrote it on the plane on my way home from a bike tour down the Danube River. I'm proud to say it won the Silver Award from the Society of American Travel Writers for Special Purpose Travel. My day with Ilya. A dozen friendly locals three Russian motorcycles with sidecars, and two liters of homemade wine add up to one bewildered rider. When I heard the motorcycle's engine begin to wind out third gear, I realized that my driver, Ilya, meant to shift the thing into fourth. That realization made me nervous. No, not just nervous, but scared. And frankly, I had a half dozen reasons to be scared. First was the fact that I was riding in the sidecar of a World War II-era Russian motorcycle. It had broken, exposed wires protruding from components that suggested the last time this thing was in proper working order, John F. Kennedy had yet to deliver his Ich bin ein Berliner speech, which is just a fancy way of saying it was older than me, perhaps older than its driver. The sidecar featured a seat so worn it had been covered with shag carpet, and my companions in the sidecar, two two-liter bottles, one of beer and another of wine. Second was the fact that we were zooming away from my bicycle. 
which I'd left leaning against a tree. Third was the fact that the tree was outside a bar and those only 11 o'clock in the morning, that bar had plenty of patrons who might possess larcenous ideas. The bike was probably worth more than most of the town's cars. Fourth, whoo, fourth was that we were now going more than 40 miles per hour over roads that were difficult to ride on my bike at 20 miles per hour. Ilya was showing off. Fifth, I had no idea where we were headed, and you can't really get the magnitude of that until I tell you about my sixth reason to be scared. Number six was, I was in Moldova. Moldova. I was 10 time zones from home going for the first motorcycle ride of my life. I swear, it was the first time I'd ever ridden any sort of motorcycle. With the guy who spoke, well, I'm not actually even sure what language Ilya spoke. It occurred to me that if anything happened to me, there would be no sympathy. Those who knew me would exclaim, he was in Moldova. What the hell was he thinking? Yeah, I had a reason or two to be scared. So, you know what I did? I grabbed onto the sidecar for dear life and laughed like a toddler being tickled. I can tell you that I've had a lot of very unusual, very unexpected, and very interesting experiences on bike tours. Experiences that wouldn't have happened had I stuck to the normal touristy stuff. Experiences that required being on a bicycle out away from the usual commerce of the city. Unscripted is the word my friends who work in TV would use, but my experience with Ilya was so beyond anything I anticipated, I think they would say I was offset. It all started when I pulled over to take a picture. I just wanted a shot of the cool old motorcycle with the sidecar. After all, you don't see a motorcycle with a sidecar every day. Something about it looked really familiar, though. I couldn't recall all the details, but my memory said it was a design that dated from World War II. Once I looked it up, I realized, hmm, I was right. Ilya was driving a Ural M72, a design the Russians either stole from or were given by the Germans on the eve of World War II, depending on which version of the history you buy into. This one had the front wheel drum brake original to the design. Picture this. I am, fundamentally, an introvert. Left to my own devices, I'll head out for the day's ride, stick to the route as planned, stop at little stores and cafes to refuel when the van isn't around, and finish off the ride with as few surprises as possible. You might say I take the path of least resistance. Bridging the gap between my silence and the engaging world around me is and inexact science. As much as I like finding those unusual experiences, I tell people I'm really not very good at it. On this occasion, the simple act of pulling the camera out and smiling at the bar's patrons was enough to initiate an epic detente. The moment I snapped the first image, Ilya rose from his chair and strode over to his ride. He pantomimed a throttle twist with his wrist and went vroom vroom, which is the universal charade for a motorcycle ride. 
I'm still not sure which gesture I made in return, but as it turns out, I was able to capably communicate the equally universal, dude, I so want to go for a ride with you on your cool moto. Not that I meant to, mind you. Thanks for listening this far. We'll take a quick break and get right back to the show. The Long Way Home was brought to you by The Cycling Independent. If you enjoy this podcast, we need you to subscribe to The Cycling Independent today. Just go to cyclingindependent.com and click on Support TCI. It's cheap, easy, and goes a long way toward helping us produce more of the content you love. And now, back to The Long Way Home. The Unexpected as it turns out, Ilya's town was lousy with Russian M72s. I know this because I saw two more as he took me for a tour of his town's war memorials. I shouldn't have been surprised. By 1950, the factory in Moscow had produced 30,000 of them. We visited two different monuments to his town's war dead, as well as a graveyard. I'm assuming these were soldiers who gave their lives in World War II, if only because up to this point, all monuments I'd seen were either to commemorate lives lost in World War II or to promote the superiority of the great Soviet Union. The steps of the monuments were carpeted with broken glass. Either the townspeople did a lot of drinking here or a very few people had been drinking here for a very long time and no one owned a broom. There was no way to tell which theory was more accurate. At each of our stops, Ilya took the big bottle of what I was to learn was Cabernet and at the foot of the monument, he would pour out wine in the figure of a cross. Even though he had mugged for some touristy photos with me, I took this as a sign of great respect reverence, even. Honestly, I thought pouring beer on a grave was strictly something gangsters did for homies. Hmm, noted. On our way back to the bar, where my bike was sitting untouched, we passed a couple from our trip, and while they got a good laugh from seeing me sitting in the sidecar, that was nothing compared to the shock and wonder Ilya's friends felt as they saw their friend with a guy covered in lycra wearing a spaceman helmet and glasses like the petals of some hybrid flower covering his eyes. The moment we pulled up back at the bar, his cell phone began ringing. I thought nothing of it at first, but what had been five friends was suddenly eleven. The phone would ring and someone else would arrive. But I didn't piece that together until later. No, the first order of business... Oh... I thought I was just going to get on my bike, say thanks, and be on my way. Was for me to sit down and drink with them. Someone handed me a plastic cup, roughly six ounces, whatever that works out to in liters, and then poured something deep ruby to the brim. I had no idea what it was. Only after I was into my second cup did a teenage boy, I'm guessing was 16 at best, but was hanging out, smoking, and drinking with the other guys, managed to convey that I was drinking Cabernet. I looked at the bottle. Now, I took some Russian in college, so while I can remember fewer than a dozen words, I can still read the Cyrillic alphabet. A great many words are just transliterated from other languages. Their word, 
funky alphabet. It helps me know when I'm standing in front of a restaurant, but the bottle in question was a beer bottle. I was drinking someone's homemade rot gut. Yeah, bitches! These guys know how to party. I began trying to find out who made it. Hmm, no dice. But one guy pestered the kid for something. The kid asked me, You like this? Yeah, I like it, I told him. Then I added, Eta Horosho, which is Russian for it is good. So then the guy who had pestered the kid leaned forward and asked, You like? I nodded. Yeah, I like. Mind you, it wasn't good wine, per se, but there was plenty of bright fruit and a lingering sweetness that demonstrated they knew a thing or two about growing wine grapes to maturity, though maybe they could benefit from some non-native yeasts. It wasn't terribly different from a non-fizzy wine cooler. I could drink this stuff all day. Somewhere between the end of the first cup and the beginning of the second, someone handed me a slice of bread with a homemade sausage aboard it. If there was anything ground up in the sausage I didn't want to know about, I was never going to find out. It was spicy as a sailor's tongue. Around that time, some of the guys began checking out my bike, which, by this time, amused me rather than concerned me. And I don't think that was just the wine working its magic. One of the guys tapped my garment unit and then drew an imaginary line up to the sky and then back down to the Garmin. With the raised eyebrows of someone about to ask a question, he inquired, Sputnik? As in Sputnik, the very first satellite to be launched into Earth's orbit. Da, da, Sputnik, GPS, I said, as I nodded emphatically. Hey, this communication thing is going okay, I thought. As each new comrade arrived at our table, We'd shake hands, we'd toast, and then they'd kill their glasses while I took a few obligatory sips. The toasting thing was difficult to catch on to. I tried Nazdrovia, which is supposed to be to your health, but they looked at me quizzically. I also tried Skol, which was no more successful. Someone said Budmo, which, upon some research, I found means shall we live forever and suggests I was hanging out with a bunch of guys of Ukrainian blood, which makes sense given I was less than 10 kilometers from the Ukrainian border. We all said Budmo a bunch. As each guy shook my hand, I couldn't help but notice that every one of them, to a man, had the hands of someone who did manual labor. Ilya had the mechanics version of the French manicure, black under the nails. His and his friend's grips were firm and steady, and their hands were tough as untreated leather. I can hardly imagine what they thought of mine. Remember when Quint rails at Hooper in Jaws and says, You've been handling money your whole life. Well, I'm not rich, but I know my hands are that kind of soft. What I couldn't figure out, and this was something that had been nagging at me for the whole of my trip, was how these folks had the constitutions of people who worked very hard labor over long days for years, and yet here they were, hanging out, drinking at a bar, even before it was lunchtime. It was a setting I'd seen several times daily for more than a week, 
I could find no formula to parse its least common denominator. It just didn't make sense. The Master Plan After finishing my sausage sandwich and polishing off another cup of wine, I made mention of my need to be on my way. Ilya had a better idea. All his friends thought it was a terrific plan. Instead of leaving, I would stick around drinking with them until some as yet undetermined time. Maybe dinner time, maybe midnight. I couldn't tell. Then, once we had finished off every fermented beverage this side of the Ukraine, this part is a guess, but their progress suggests I'm not far off, Ilya would put me back in the sidecar. Either I would hold my bike or they would tie it to the side of the sidecar. I couldn't tell. And then we would use Sputnik to guide us to our end-of-day rally point for the tour. It was a genius plan, all except for the fact that something in me said that I had gotten off lucky the first time, but the combination of a lot more wine, me, that motorcycle, and a precarious perch for my bicycle was less a recipe for disaster than a paint-by-numbers map straight to its heart. Saying goodbye took 15 minutes, maybe more. There were the photos with my new comrades and attempts to sway my will, some with smiling entreaties, some with offers to pour more wine. My final goodbye was with Ilya. We shook hands, and then he struck his breast. That move needed no translation. I echoed his gesture by striking mine and nodded in assent. This had been something special. We had shared something neither of us had expected, something neither of us will ever forget. As I walked, with something approaching a sway, over to my bicycle, I thought of the event that started it all. I'd been on my way up a hill to leave this little town. I hadn't even bothered to stop to check out when I spied the motorcycle with the sidecar sitting beneath a tree and behind it some guys hanging out before the day's heat arrived. I can't say there is any rhyme or reason to the events that precipitate these experiences. I put myself out there, and they just seem to happen from time to time. Isn't that the way it usually works? But I figured I should capture an image of that motorcycle. What I took was so much more. In our next episode, John Lewis will present a piece called By Accident. It's about the first time John got hit by a car, as well as all the times after that. He observes that each accident was unremarkable, even mundane, but they still changed him as a bike rider and as a person. The Long Way Home is produced by The Cycling Independent. Our motto is, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. Find us on the web at cyclingindependent.com or on Facebook at The Cycling Independent. Be sure to check out our other podcasts, The Pace Line, which I co-host with John Lewis, Revolting, which lives up to its name in some ways but is highly entertaining, and Enter the Deuce, which isn't much to do with bikes but digs deep into the trials of being a parent in the most challenging circumstances possible. This is where we ask you to subscribe. 
While we are grateful for underwriting from the Shimano Corporation, we are primarily community-supported and need subscribers to keep the servers on. Maybe consider leaving a review wherever it is you found us. It makes it more likely other people will listen in. Constructive criticism is also accepted. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady. Thanks for listening to The Long Way Home.